11. When you have that, just look up and I'll commence reading. Thanks. This is the word of our God. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But when I saw none of the other's apostles, except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Thus far reading of God's holy, inerrant, an inspired word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you. With God's help, it will be preached. Please be seated. We're dealing here uh, with a very important, a most important epistle. All of God's word is, is very useful. Some portions of it are exceedingly important, more so than other parts. Because the perennial struggle among God's people has always been how can God, who is righteous, receive a people to himself that is spotted in sin, that is still, in many ways, errant, ignorant, unrighteous. And there can only be Two attempts at that, two attempts at that uh, answer. The first one is, well, you've got to try very hard to be to be right. You've got to you've got to learn God's ways. You've got to know what pleases Him, and you've got to fully devote yourself to it and uh, perform that righteousness. And then, when you are righteous, God can't deny the righteous, and He'll be pleased with you in your end. Uh, my friends, that uh, is a salvation according to a man's merit. That is the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ worked out in the flesh. 
Yes, he was a Hebrew, and he worked out that, that salvation. And he worked out that salvation, not for himself, because he was the divine son of God. He never had a moment where he was away from the fellowship of his father in heaven. No, he didn't earn that salvation for himself. He earned it for all those for whom he would die. He earned it by obeying all of God's commandments, even the commandment, the peculiar commandment in Scripture that his Messiah, his divine son, would die as the lamb, the Passover lamb, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He was the one man in history that obeyed God perfectly. The first man, Adam, had one commandment in the garden, and he could not keep that. But Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of God, had many, many, many commandments. And he fulfilled them all perfectly, flawlessly, in word, in thought, in affection. And not only passively, excuse me, not only actively, but passively, all that was done to him, he received as from the Father. So we've got two religions in the world. Even as the Old Testament people would hear the word of God, some heard it and appropriated it properly as a word of promise, as a word of grace. Sure, you had the commandments, but of course God is righteous, and if you're going to have fellowship with God, you're going to need that righteousness. There has to be some equity, there's got to be some uh, affection for the same spotless purity because God is a most pure spirit. But in every age, the people of God will misunderstand the scriptures and ascribe to themselves something that if they would really understand the word of God properly, would utterly, utterly condemn them as hypocrites. And that is that they had some standing before God based on anything else but that righteousness that is, is proposed and that righteousness that is, that is uh, proclaimed in the gospel. That is the righteousness of God himself in his son, the Lord Jesus. And that is the no-boast uh, claim of every true son of God whenever he, re when he, whenever he hears the word of God preached. He says, Lord, you're righteous and I'm not, but I'm glad that you have given us Jesus as my righteousness. And I am received in your presence because of him and because he is most excellent. And now he gives me his spirit and I begin in new ways. I begin in new ways to show forth a new life. But that, that is just never completed in this life. Until, until he comes back, we, or until we die and our souls are perfected in heaven, we must confess that we are undone. Woe is me. For in our, especially at worship, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell with a nation. Israel, the church. I dwell in this nation, God's elect nation on earth, among a people of unclean lips. But the message can be confused, the, the message can be compromised, and people and churches can be very, very much hurt, and some eternally so. There is a true gospel 
It must be kept and defended. The true gospel is given by the Lord Jesus Christ from his lips and his successors, the apostles. This is the foundation of the church. No one can build upon this truth in any way except they be on that foundation. If any man build on any other foundation other than Jesus Christ and his apostles, and of course with the, uh, with the apostles uh, laying on hands on the prophets, they were proclaiming the very same gospel in the same spirit. That is bedrock. That's bedrock church, the building of God, but that's also bedrock salvation. There is no other gospel, there is no other name given unto the sons of men in any place in the world except the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That is the gospel and that is God's promise. And our faith is a gift from God and it's not a work, so there's no boasting. All the glory goes to God. Now, having gotten that clarification as an incentive and as it were an appetite to have you listen because this message is critical to understand. If Paul is not an apostle, then his opinion is as good as anybody else. And the opinion of many of these church leaders, yes, they were church leaders in several of the churches in Asia Minor, the region of Galatia, differed from the apostle Paul, from Paul, claiming falsely that there were apostles in Jerusalem that really had the same position as they did, and Paul was an error. If Paul is an error, my friends, we might as well just not be here. There is no Christianity without the gospel as Paul presents it. None. We must get this right. Galatia had to get this right. And Paul, Paul is, is struggling to, to, to win them over and to prove to them that yes, 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 that, that this is the gospel. The gospel that was first proclaimed, that I first proclaimed among you. Don't you remember how you got the spirit when you first believed? But now you've turned. And it's not a matter of believing a different religion, my friends. It's that this, this different religion has departed from the one who calls you. And that, my friends, is very, very frightening. Paul, then, in the context here, attests that his gospel is true. And in order to prove that he's true, he's trying to authenticate that he is a, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the teaching here is this. Paul received the gospel directly from the exalted, the risen Lord Jesus. He received it from the Lord, just like every apostle did when Jesus was walking the earth. The apostles, his disciples, learned it from Jesus. And Jesus commissioned his disciples and gave them the apostleship. Apostleship means they're, they're called first and then they're sent. They're sent out into various places. But Paul had received that from the Lord Jesus and not from any other source. And his message and apostleship of them were well attested by other apostles and even the Judean churches. All right, that's the teaching. We've got two points. 
First of all, Paul did not learn the gospel by consulting with any other apostle. The ascended Lord Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus. And that was on the road to Damascus, and he had papers allowing him to ferret out the sect of the Nazarenes, as it was called, and to bring them bound to Jerusalem for trial. Saul had papers from these Jewish authorities to arrest all followers of Jesus in all of Palestine. But the Lord transformed Saul of Tarsus. It's just... The faith of Jesus Christ is, is, is a matter of power. It's a new creation. It's power. And the God Almighty made a new creature of Saul of Tarsus. The Lord Jesus then directly commissioned Paul, right then and there, immediately. He said that you would be his, his own messenger to the Gentiles. He sent them as an apostle at his conversion. No seminary, no, no, sem no seminars, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles, that is to say to the, to the nations surrounding Israel. Broadly, as an apostle, he was an, an evangelist. Not exclusively to the Gentiles, of course, but primarily he would go from region to region. His first choice was to visit the synagogues. Why? Well, they had the scriptures, and the scriptures of the Old Testament clearly, clearly attest to Jesus being Messiah. Christ, the expected one of God, is all there. He hadn't seen it. Why? Because he was spiritually blind. I mean, he, was, he had good eyesight. He could read the Hebrew letters. He could read the Aramaic. He could read the Greek. But not to a spiritual understanding. He wanted primarily to go, according to his own words we read, laying a foundation where no other person has been. That's the work of an apostle. Apostle does not build on another's foundation. Apostle builds on the foundation of Christ and the, and the prophets. The Lord Jesus began then to direct his chosen servant, Saul, now called Paul, and he begins to speak to him and to direct them and to, to befriend him, and they have fellowship, and they're friends. And of course, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God communicating this from heaven. This is a completely supernatural religion. This is an open universe. Paul was to continue to his travel then into Damascus. <laughs> you know, it's not what you do it for, it's the reason for you doing it. And to the casual observer, there was no difference. He's, he gets back on his horse. Now he's blind, of course. He's had to be led to the city. And he doesn't turn him around. You go into Damascus, and Damascus, Paul then immediately begins preaching Jesus. How about that? How could that be? Well, my friends, it's like this. It's for the same reason we, we teach our, our children. We teach them the Bible. We teach them our catechisms. We teach them much about what we know about the Lord, the gospel. The knowledge is in here somewhere. But they're not alive in Christ. Or maybe they are. Some may be alive in Christ, but it comes a time when the Holy Spirit comes and turns on the switch. It, the lights come on, and everything that is in their head 
everything that's in their head now makes sense. And even, even in a synthesized way, Paul begins, because his mind is very agile and nimble and he's very intelligent and he's gifted from birth, from the womb he was given this mind. And with the Holy Spirit, now he's able to stitch this together and he begins to preach Christ in Damascus immediately, having had no contact with any apostles or any of the Judean churches. He gets it from the Old Testament and from, of course, Jesus is now speaking with Paul from heaven. Paul then left Damascus. He sojourned in Arabia for three years, he says, and then here's where he has his seminary. And now you talk about a little bit of downtime with the Lord, you can get a lot done if you block out three years of your life for study. You get a lot done. You can get a lot done if you take, if you take one day. By the way, I might as well have a point of application. Have you ever done that? Have you taken one day, one whole day, where you get up, no phone calls, no distractions, spend it with the Lord? Have you ever done that? You can have, you know, tea breaks. You can, have, you can sing a psalm. You can walk around and get some fresh air. But spend the day with the Lord. Black it out. Now try that for three years. Is it worth it? Ah, I think Paul, Paul thought it was worth it. And we are his benefactors if we pay attention to his writing. The Old Testament scriptures then would have supported everything that Jesus was saying from heaven. The Old Testament and all of Moses was precisely what Jesus was saying from heaven. This great divide from the Old or the New Testament is unknown to the Jewish man who is at the right hand of God. It is an unknown religion that places a huge disparity. A godless religion that makes this horrendous mistake of pitting Jesus against the scriptures of the Old Testament. It's a huge lie. Paul had heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus from, of course, the Judean Christians. He had heard. He had heard of the Bible. He, uh, excuse me, of the, of the Christian religion. He had heard the messages of the resurrection. He had heard the gossip about his ascension. He had heard Jesus' parables and his corrections of, uh, of the best teachers and rabbis in, in Jerusalem. He had heard all this stuff. And so he had heard something from man, but it didn't register. That was not a teaching. That came to him rather indirectly, and he was actually quite upset by it. He hated all that stuff. Now, this, is, this makes no sense. Even though what was being said, my friends, was front and center, main line, Christianity and, and uh, the Hebrew faith, the faith of Abraham. Such is our human fallen nature, such is our sinful nature, that we will take the most pure religion and treat it as if it was garbage and stench. That's the error of Judaism in Jesus' day. And that's the error of the Galatian churches in Paul's day. All now then, what he had heard, 
all, all the scandal that he just couldn't stand to hear. He shut his ears. He was there when they stoned Stephen. They stoned him because they said he was a blasphemer. And Paul was there. Saul of Tarsus was there affirming this. Hey, they're doing right. They, he wanted to shut his ears too. Against him. What is this garbage? It's the faith of Abraham. <laughs> and we've got one of Abraham's sons sitting at the right hand of God the Father, exalted and vindicated by him to test that. And we are his witnesses. My friends, that's, that's Christianity. That's what's going on here in Galatia. All this would now, was now affirmed by Jesus. My friends, both the manner and the matter of divine revelation to an apostle differ from the divine revelation to prophets and gifts of prophecy, etc. The office of an apostle has clearly ceased today. Oh, I know people want to don that they want to don that title, but they, mis and they misuse it and they abuse it. All other extraordinary revelatory gifts have ceased. If you want to, once and for all, dig the grave and bury theology proper as a science, as a science, I know most of you don't think that theology should be a science. You just, it's all about a relationship. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know the first thing about that relationship unless some Christian mind put it together and stitched it together in an orderly fashion to confute the error and to affirm the truth. If you bury theology, you have no Christianity. You don't. And that's been well attested in all of church history. But my friends, if you have an open re revelatory system, you're never going to have a science because a science has to have an object to study. And if you have an open-ended subject, you don't have a subject that you can wrap. It's like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Where is the atom now that we've measured its mass? It's gone. It's moved. Theology keeps moving. and Nobody can study it, so there's no theology, so there's no Christianity. And that, my friends, is, is the real pandemic that we're facing in the world today. This hatred of theology. It's mindless. It's irrational. It's beastly. The only rule of faith and practice in Christ's church, then, is the canon of Scripture. The Scripture is closed. We can study it. The Old Testament would be adequate if we had the mind of, the, of Paul and the Holy Spirit as the apostle did. All the apostle has done is taken the, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, made sense of it, and communicated it to us in theological and practical terms. That's all he's done. But that's the only source, a point of light in a dark space. Otherwise, if we don't give heed to this point of light in a dark space and give diligent heed, diligent heed to this, all else is darkness. All else leads to error. All else leads to sin. All leads to schism, hatred, boasting in the flesh, chaos. We've got plenty of that. Paul then uh, returns to his narrative. He says he had to return to Damascus there. The king Eridus, uh, he, he heard Paul was in, and so he, he wanted him. He, wanted, he didn't like that Paul was preaching. That was breaking, again, breaking the peace of, breaking the peace of Damascus. 
Is Paul a troublemaker because he was breaking the peace of the civil order in Damascus under King Aretas? Well, if you want to say if Elijah and Elias were troublers of Israel, yes. But if you damn Elijah and Elias as troublers of Israel, then you affirm Ahab as the benefactor of Israel. And that, my friends, is a sickly strained truce and no peace with God. God's prophets have always agitated the sinful and the wicked. Paul had Aretas after him, and so Paul escaped the city in a basket and lowered from the city because he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much difference there is between the correct gospel and the plagiarized, blasphemously error, er erroneous gospel that the Judaizers, under the pretense of being Christians, were holding in Galatia. Only after Paul had been preaching the gospel did he then visit Jerusalem, he says. He met with Cephas, it was Peter, in Jerusalem for 15 days. Paul also met with James, the half-brother of Jesus. James here um, is, by the way, uh, recognized as an apostle, too, by Paul. We can talk about that sometime. This uh, James at first uh, did not even believe in his half-brother Jesus. So again, the gospel is transformative. It, 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 the, the, the mind is darkened. It doesn't understand why Jesus... You're not going to the feast. You're, so, you, you, you're, making, you're making some claims to be somebody. You need to be out in public. His brothers are encouraging him to, to get out and sell himself if he's something. They, didn't, they were not believing in him. It's John chapter 7. Paul affirms the truthfulness of this narrative of the story. He even takes an oath to himself. He says, when I'm writing to you before God, uh, I do not lie. Well, he's not, it's not saying that before he was telling the truth. And he's always been, been telling the truth as he's been writing the scriptures. What he's saying is, this is so important, and I'm all alone here except for a few fellow travelers. I want you to know that I'm, pu I'm putting my soul on the line here. If I, am, if I am lying to you on this important subject, may my soul, be, may my soul perish. That's what he's saying. He's taking an oath before God. This is, this is how important it is. This is how important Pauline theology is. A sworn statement made to other men in the presence of God as a witness. God is his witness because he didn't have any others. That's why you take an oath. Because of his testimony, affirming not just what he's saying here about his conversion. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is he's an apostle. He's being taught by the Lord Jesus. Paul's apostleship then is critical. It's critical to the restoration of the Galatian churches. The, the churches in Galatia had left, had departed from the one that was calling him. Now, we, you know, we, we don't like to go around damning people. That's not, it, that's not the job of an evangelist. Jesus didn't do that even in his flesh. He says, I'm not come to condemn you. I, I, God has not given us a son to condemn the world, but to save the world. He said, no, you have one that condemns you, even Moses. The writing there is, test, is, is clear. But let the Lord, the Father, apply that to your conscience in time. But Paul's apostleship is critical to the restoration of the Galatian churches. And we do that, of course, 
we do oaths and all that when, when, when it's critical. Uh, members here, when they join the church, take their vows before God, and they have an oath before men that they will behave a certain way. Not that they will believe all that the Presbyterians believe, but at least they will be mindful of the leadership of the church and submit in good, in good faith. And if not, then, you know, they're free to leave. But as they're here, they, we need to live at peace and unity according to what we have best confessed. Olds are to be used sparingly, of course, and they'll be used for important matters like, like getting married uh, or joining uh, the nation as a citizen. They used to be something that people do. Has, has become citizens somewhere. It was fashionable for many thousands of years to be citizens somewhere. It's very fashionable. Especially in the absence of a witness, then you're not completely without resource. Having no witness, you can always, in important matters, make an oath to man before God. And that's what Paul is doing. Because Paul wanted them to know that he had not learned the gospel by consulting with any other apostle. That's the point. The second point, Paul's gospel had the approval of the other apostles and the Judean churches, verses 21 through 24, in Jerusalem and, and its environs, and that includes, you know, places as far off as, as Damascus. Uh, he mentioned Cephas and James as people that he consulted with. They were of one consensus, by the way, this the consensus of the church is one. There's one Lord, one faith, that is to say one theology, one organized systematic mind of Christ in the Holy Spirit. There's only one universal apostolic church. And that one is the body of Christ. And that is a house of prayer. It is organized visibly in the, in the world, and uh, it is a spiritual phenomena, although it be invisible, has both aspects, or takes both, both forms. And it is the betrothed spouse of Christ, and is the only organ of salvation in the world, the only people of God in the whole world from every tribe, nation, language, tongue. All right. That's why Paul, though he had received this testimony from the Lord Jesus himself, he was not doubting that revelation, but he, wanted, he knew that the mind of Christ was one among apostles. And who wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want that affirmation with Cephas and James? So he went to Jerusalem and he received that same affirmation. We've got the same gospel. Why? We've got the same spirit. Why? Because we've got the same Lord Jesus at the right hand of God the Father giving the Holy Spirit. After this brief visit then in Jerusalem, Paul left for the Gentile regions. He went to Syria and Cilicia. He went alone, but of course he wasn't really alone, was he? He was now a Christian, and he had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one who comforts, who convicts, but also he is the counselor. And he teaches us all things. Paul's Roman citizenship then and schooling. All that that had gone before, uh, came, gone, uh, been done for him and to him as, uh, as a youth and as a, as a young Jewish man, none of that was wasted. All that schooling in the languages, all that schooling in history, all the geography, 
all of the ways of the Romans and the Greeks, all that now comes to play in this apostle to the Gentiles. The Romans, Paul's Roman citizenship and schooling then would have served him well to travel throughout the whole of the empire. Now the Judean churches then were amazed that Saul of Tarsus could be transformed into Paul, the apostle. They were amazed at his change. Saul of Tarsus, a renowned and, and, and a zealous opponent of the gospel. And Saul tried to destroy the Christian faith. The way to do it, the way to absolutely squash the Nazarene sect was to void them of their gospel. No gospel, no Nazarene sect. Paul, that's the way Paul's mind thinks. But now, now that he's converted, now he's convinced of the Lord Jesus and that as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, that he's, yes, he died, but he died not for himself, but for our sins, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And not only was he resurrected, but he, he, he was ascended. He ascended into heaven. And there he rules as God's administrator. And, he go, and he, from there he gives forth the Holy Spirit as oil, pours it out onto all nations. But now converted, Paul was preaching the gospel. Converted, no longer a Judaized Hebrew. Now a Christian. Supernatural change. This only God could do. No fleshly or worldly advantage to him. Everything that he had going for him, as far as his uh, descendants from the tribe of Benjamin, all the schooling that he'd had and, the, and Judaism, the friends that he'd made, his whole network, his whole, you know how this works. You know how people get ahead. Nobody gets ahead without a mentor. Paul doesn't have any mentor now, except, of course, the Lord Jesus, and that's all you need. You don't need any other. No fleshly or worldly advantage to, to Saul now. He's Paul. By the way, Paul means, in the, in the Latin, his name means little. He, he's become little. He, he's, he's tiny. He's, come, he's become nothing. He's become nothing that Christ may be all. And that's the zeal that Paul, Paul the Apostle now has. The Judean churches then praised God for this change in Saul of Tarsus to Paul. And then he had the, the, the testimony there of many witnesses, many, many amens to what he was saying now uh, with those who believed out of the sect of the Nazarenes and the apostles. Testimony that the Judean churches approved Paul's gospel and testimony that the Judaized church in Galatia was false. The Judaized gospel in Galatia was compromised. The Judaized church and gospel in Galatia is not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism. It serves to glorify, not God. And if it doesn't glorify God in Christ, it glorifies man. But Paul had not received this from a man. Paul had received this from God, who, who, who alone is able to glorify himself because he knows his mind and his will. And that's the point of receiving it 
from Jesus as an apostle. Now, my friends, I, I need to ask you, does the gospel receive your hearty approval? Sincerely, are you pleased with how it glorifies God in his holiness? It's perfection. Where you, we see in the rich young ruler, it still demands perfection. The gospel doesn't say, oh, no, God is no longer as holy as he used to be in the Old Testament. You can approach him. Anybody can. Really? Just come. Come as you are. Do the best you can. That's not a gospel. Does the gospel upset you? Look, if... I don't mean a false gospel. A false gospel you could really relish if you're in the flesh. You can present a false gospel that is a, a real delight to sinners. You sing Amazing Grace with an old rusty guitar. You haven't changed the chords on it for five years. It sounds like a, like a mouse trap. And not really relish the gospel. But if the gospel is preached purely with all of its repercussions in the transformed life. And on your, you're on your way mortifying, that is to say, putting aside the, 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 the sinful nature, you're putting aside, you've repented, you repent every day, you're on the way walking with Christ, using the commandments not to justify yourself, but to please the Lord. You now glorify Jesus in, in obeying commandments because you love his voice and you know these are his ways and you want to give him the glory as the Christ of the prophets. And so sure you have a, a zeal for the law, but in Christ, in Christ. Do you need any other further testimony that the Bible is speaking truth? Are you able to see the whole, the forest? Never mind these particular trees that well, you've got, yeah, you've got some hard things to, 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 to encounter here in the scripture, says Peter. Paul writes difficulties. But we have the resources in the Word. We have the, the prophets and we have the apostles and we have the Holy Spirit. We can understand Bob. We can understand Paul. We, 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 we can know that the gospel is true. Every one of you here onto uh, salvation. Do you believe that this gospel and the hands of the Holy Spirit can transform you? A lot of us have a lot of information, but they're not, we're not sure if God can keep us. We're, we're not sure if, if that particular sin can be, can be mortified. We have many sins. Some, yeah, we turn from. Others, they beset us. And, and it seems like some of us are wired into believing that, no, this one is impossible. I cannot surmount it. Why? Well, the psychologist, you know, studies have shown Studies in what? Pharisees in what? Repent. <laughs> there's the Lamb of God. There's the blood. There, there's the Holy Spirit. He calls you to be holy. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so you, you need to praise God for the resident Holy Spirit, for his comforts, for his assurances. That he is your primary teacher, not your minister. And having the word and the spirit, you've got, you've got all the, the resources you need in the church. Well, that's not true. Like, I mean, right now, you know that the humidity in this building is high. We need, we need a new unit back there or something. And that we need more than just the word and the spirit. We don't. We don't need a thing more than the word and the spirit. That's all that Christ gives us. 
assuredly. He doesn't promise his chamber groups or orchestras. He doesn't promise his prosperity in this world. In fact, he promises us a cross and tribulation, affliction. Through many trials, we must pass through many trials before we attain the kingdom. That's what he promised. He does say that. He does say that. Do you glory in Christ? Or are you ashamed of this gospel? It doesn't really, I, I don't know. I, I thought this, uh, this may not be good for my family. There's nothing better than your, for your family. Heaven is worth all things. And the presence of God in your, in your house is worth all. It's worth more than rubies. It's worth more than all of Sol King Solomon's holdings. He's the precious pearl. He is the pearl of great price. He is given to you in the gospel by faith. All your boasting can be in God's gift. None of your boasting can be about your qualifying for the gift. Not now and not at his coming. The conclusion, Paul received the gospel directly from the exalted Lord Jesus and not from any other source, especially not any manly source, any human source. His message and apostleship were well attested by other apostles. There was a consensus of the one Lord, one faith. And even among the Judean churches, Paul's gospel then glorified God, not man. We're up to man. Man is, about, man is about carving up this nation to any number of human rights and bills of rights. Everyone's concerned about their rights. Nobody wants to die to self and find peace with their neighbor and unity. And that's how it will go in the church as long as the church continues to omit the true gospel. There will always be schism. And if the church is in schism, this nation is doomed. Because the gospel in the church is the only point of light and salt in the world. Does that make you want to come to church? No. Hey, hey come on, Lou. It's, what Sunday is this? What time does the game start? Huh? What time does the game start? The gospel is in accord with Moses and the prophets. But the religion of the Jews had become corrupted. That's why we went through, that's why we went through Matthew. You saw all the reforms that Jesus was attempting with this, the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees. Only by corrupting the gospel, only by, by perverting the gospel, can the Judaizers in Galatia remain so-called Christians. Because they would not receive the true gospel. That was abhorrent to them. Just like the true gospel was abhorrent to Paul as Saul of Tarsus. Paul understood the difference between Judaism and the faith of God's Old Testament saints. Do you? Have you bought this lie? Have you bought the lie that the, the faith is expressed by the Sadducees and the Pharisees was the religion of Moses? Have you bought that? That's a complete mix-up. That's a, that's a child's error. We've got seminaries teaching that kind of garbage. You believe that? Then you're going to pit Moses against Christ and you won't understand a thing. It's one word. That's why it's called the Word of God, not the words of God. The gospel is firmly rooted in historical fact. That's why Paul tells a narrative of his encounter with the Lord Jesus. It's not, it's not a philosophy. It's not, it's not a comparative religion or a, a new norm. It's, 
This is not a, a, a form hermeneutic. No. This is historical truth. Not, nothing contrived here. Most consistent with the faith of the saints in all ages. Read the Gospels in this in mind. Read, read them often, especially read the book of Acts. See how they, see how they walk the minefield of all manner of, of, of difficulties, both within the Judean group and the Gentile group. Study these things. Give yourselves over. Again, one, once, once in your lifetime, devote a, a day to study the Bible. Once in your lifetime. Liberal theologians will sever Paul's theology from the teachings of the Jews in the Gospels. When they have books, you know, the, let's, let's search for the historical Jesus. We're not really sure what the apostles got it right here. That's the very cult of the false teachers in Galatia. That, that is the Galatian heresy. Moralism. Moralism. And that's not the grace of the gospel. It contradicts the scriptures everywhere. It is a massive, massive and deadly error. The gospel still shines on. The gospel is the, the grace of God revealed unto all flesh that all who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, who is the, the righteousness of God revealed to all who believe, if you receive him as your new head, as your surety, as your representative before God, you will live as surely as he was raised from the dead. Believe that and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you all honor and glory for your glorious truth. We lament, Lord, there's so many children. The sons of men have departed and followed so much darkness. We confess that we also are of that same ilk. We're cut of the same stock by nature. And so we rely on you and on your sanctifying spirit who set Paul apart even from birth, that he might be your servant, that he might serve your, you or your purposes to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. We pray that you would sanctify us and set us apart as your people and protect us even as we must be in the world, but not of it. We would pray that we would not boast in any human merit and any, any human achievement as being pleasing before the righteous judge of all. We pray that we might rest in Christ as our Savior and our righteousness alone. And Lord, may you be glorified as we have given ourselves completely to you as our Lord and Savior, that you would glorify your name, protect your true churches, Lord, protect your true gospel, and protect, Lord, all of your servants. So we pray in Jesus' name, for your own name's sake. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.